0: Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanias, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into product experience, or PX for short. And we are joined by two incredible individuals from the industry, Ali Hung-Yu Director of Product Marketing, and Virginie Blo product experience management and pxm evangelist from akinio welcome to the show ali and virginie thank you for having us thank you So as we look to get started into this conversation about product experience, first, I want to make sure everyone has a little bit of background about both of you. So Ali, as director of product marketing at Akinio, you have years of experience in product marketing and solutions engineering at leading commerce technology companies, including Adobe and Criteo. You are thrilled to be a part of the Akinio team. And you lead the team in identifying the benefits of Akinio's platform and products and bringing them to life in the language of your customers. I'm told you're very passionate about compelling storytelling methods, so I'm excited to have you on the show from that perspective and finding new approaches to delivering great experiences and enabling others. To have their own productive conversations. You're originally from London, England, and you now call Massachusetts USA home. I'm thrilled about the storytelling side of things. We're gonna get a little introduction to Virgin A now. And with formerly leading the professional services team and now the PXM evangelist, which by the way, I always love having anyone on the show who's an evangelist. It just it's this level of title that I'm like, they have become an expert so much that all they do is evangelize now for whatever that area Mm. is. It's wonderful and you have over 8 years of experience and expertise in product experience i have this expertise experience word is going to cause me all sorts of trouble today let me just tell you it's everywhere in today's world but you have over 8 years of experience with akinio and prior to joining akinio you worked as a business consultant for an erp software company and you've been involved in leading projects at luxury brands and manufacturers with an emphasis on product enrichment workflows and scaling product catalogs to address new digital e-commerce challenges. Wow, I am surrounded by just expertise right now, and I'm thrilled to have this moment right now of just saying that I am excited because it's been a while since I've gotten to have my full-fledged on experience podcast discussion where I just love having that word be every other sentence included at least two to three times typically within the sentence. So welcome both, and I'm really looking forward to diving into this with both of you. Product experience, or PX, however you want to talk about it. Our listeners now know what PX will stand for. And with this, it is part of the entire user experience is how I view it. It focuses on the journey within the key product itself. And you can think of it as user experience within the walls of the product. It's essentially an experience that the customer feels from the time they log in to the time they quit using the product. And product experience is part of the entire overall experience of your website, your digital products, to your physical products. I think it extends beyond the digital into the full-on aspect of what a, a consumer will have. Of course, there's tons of different ways that you can describe product experience, but what I would really like to hear from both of you, and we'll start with Virginie. A, what is the definition of product experience to you?
1: And we will talk also about the difference between product experience and product experience management that we address. We'll talk about that a lot today. So basically, when we talk about product experience is really what companies will do so that their end consumers, how they will interact with the product, as you say, perfectly digitally on the website, on mobile app, but also on marketplaces that they probably sell on. But also physically, I mean in physical point of sales. So everything companies do to interact with the consumers, to with the customers, to give them feel like buying products, basically.
2: Yeah, I agree with Virginie if you think about world of commerce and the first interaction that a buyer, whether they're a consumer or they're representing their business, will have with a particular brand or vendor, it's going to be a product. Now, not just on the website itself from the homepage or a a product description page, but if they're using the Google machine, it's gonna be a product listing that they're gonna be seeing on there. If it's display advertising that they're seeing, there's gonna be products listed there with the price or details about it or something compelling. The list goes on. So that first touch point is always with a product. So that first touch point is going to be really key in order to hook someone in, get them interested, and engaged, and ultimately buy that product or do business with you.
0: Great definitions. Appreciate it from both of you for understanding where we're going to be diving into today. I, I wanted to kind of just do a stat drop here from your own survey that was done in 2020, a Kineo global B2B survey that talked about 90% of B2B organizations cite product information management as highly important. Or a top priority. Now, that's an incredible percentage. And especially for the B2B industry, I think, who digital transformation typically is behind. It used to be about 15 years behind B2C and some different consultants' perspectives, but overall, it's starting to catch up more with digital transformation. And obviously, the past two years with the COVID pandemic has really accelerated a lot of the digital transformation, especially in the B2B world overall. So with 90% saying that product information management is highly important or a top priority, what are you seeing? Let's dive into this. And, and really what I want to understand comes straight from the Akinio website homepage. Okay. So just so you know, I went there and I took your headline of Unlocking Growth Through Product Experiences how do we unlock growth in product experiences? And before we really get into that, why does the product experience matter?
2: Why does it matter? Well, let's take the B2B example that you gave. Let's start there. So it matters from that perspective because B2B, as you said, has been typically about providing product name, a product code, and some detailed descriptions, in many cases through a printed catalog or it's just a listing on a page. And you need to know which particular product you need to go for based on a particular SKU or other identifier. That's not a great experience if, for example, you are building a bunch of homes and you need to get the exact pipe size just right. You need more information than just a particular code. You need the greater details that are available in there. You maybe need to see images of it to make sure that it's not just the right component or the right pipe, but it's actually in situ, like you actually see it in a home and you understand how the connections work. Why is that important? Ordering the right component is not only going to be costly, ultimately, for the person who's selling it due to returns, it could actually be very detrimental to the person who's buying it if, for example, it's a pipe and it's not the right thickness or the right size and that thing ends up blowing up. Not good. So product experience matters in that context for B2B to ensure that the person who is buying that particular product is not only getting the right one, but is satisfied with that purchase, is more likely to come back, is less likely to have to do return, and therefore the seller have to deal with credits and what have you. In fact, that same survey that you mentioned on the B2B side that we provided... I think it was nearly two-thirds of respondents said that the product information that they see is the most important thing after the pricing, of course.
0: Mm -hmm. The most
2: important thing for them. Getting that right is absolutely key.
0: Yeah, no, spot on. Some of the examples of just clients we've worked with are in the parts businesses that I really think of product experience where the information is so critical to your point about getting the right product, and especially when you're buying a replacement part and there's multiple SKUs and variations, product codes that might be similar, right? And it's ensuring that you're getting the right dimensions and the way that you can search for dimensional information is all across the board. And if you don't have the right product experience, that if I type in one diet, you know, forward slash or backslash, depending on how the user enters it for for a one fourth size item and I put in for inches, then will I get the same results if I actually put in 0.25 inches fully spelled out? And it's so critical that your products are correctly mapped to that type of information. Because that's what's going to end up giving you the additional uh, experience for the buyer, like you mentioned, less returns when they know that they're getting the right product fit. And that's where we've also built other models for our clients where on the product detail page itself, we actually do a model compatibility check where they can type in their model number of the main product and then the parts that are a correct fit for it will be indicated. And it'll talk about the match to them. And that to me just screams product experience, because if you don't have that, what happens? You might get the wrong part misordered. Uh, you might get a lot more returns, frustrated customers, right? The customer experience completely is driven by the product experience. Absolutely. So that's where it's yeah. just critical to, to to your point to get that information right.
1: Yeah. And one thing I wanted to add is maybe the best way to explain why and how product experience help unlock growth for a company is maybe to understand the opposite, how bad experience had definitely bad impact and slow down the business, really. So if you take basic example, like you are on a web page or even if, on the, if you are in a store, you have a product, but you don't have the right information or on the website, you don't have the right colors, which is not the same mentioned in the title or in the description, you don't know where what you are going to buy, what you are going to receive. So you won't just basically buy it. So you know that bad experience has a bad impact on your business, basically.
2: To elaborate on the unlocking growth through product experiences that you saw, Tim, there are multiple ways that a business can unlock growth through that product experience that their customers have. The product experience is not only on their owned commerce site. The experience also matters on unowned properties. Marketplaces is one example that you heard earlier on from Virginie. So being able to grow as the online marketplaces grow as well is key. And you still have some control as it were in defining what that experience is through the information, the content, the assets that you're providing. There's also other ways to unlock growth, selling into new markets, for example the expectations that your customers have between, say, selling in the United States versus selling in Asia is going to be different. And you need to be able to reflect that. What makes sense for a North American customer, it may not make sense for someone who's in Asia. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that if you want to unlock growth by going into new markets? The other thing is, is in many cases in the last year, what we've seen organizations do is pivot their business or look to sell additional products, for example, accessories or grow the number of products that they're selling through merger and acquisition. So being able to sell more puts greater emphasis on the experience that your new customers or the additional products you want to sell to your existing ones, will expect from you if you want them to come back or come back to you as new.
0: Yeah. And that international aspect that you mentioned is so critical in today's world because there are so many organizations that now have the ability to reach further than they were when they were not in the digital realm, right? When e-commerce and marketplaces weren't giving them that exposure. And with that, not only is the product experience for the region or culture important, but also translations really come into play. That's all part of the product experience and enriching that data because traditionally ERPs will not have all of that marketing enriched information. And to have that managed in a single location versus a separate translations provider, a separate e-commerce platform engine, a separate ERP that has information, you can funnel this through a PIM or a product experience manager and you know there's those PIM, PXM, there's all sorts of fun definitions around all of it but really that centralized location for the enriched data that you mentioned earlier is critical and to me that translations is huge but also in that previous previous example I gave not only do we use inches and different variations of that but we actually do the conversion to centimeters for that so you've got different measurement structures that are different regionally. You've got different terminology that is used regionally. And that is huge. I mean, the misspellings that I always get from our our UK uh, staff members with S's versus Z's, it just throws me for a loop every single time. No, I'm just kidding. But it is a reality of the way that different things are called in different areas of the world. I worked with one e-commerce client out of Singapore, and it was very interesting to see the way that we couldn't use certain colors. In Asian cultures and that we had to think differently of the way that we phrased certain things as well and the same with the the Middle East and Europe and so there's all sorts of different ways that where you look at where your audience is that you need to provide those rich experiences that's really what we're talking about being able to provide through this product experience and through much more of this you know PIM solution and PXM and Virginie, I know you want to talk more about that. And you know maybe it's time to dig yeah. a little bit into it here.
1: And what you mentioned is really vital for companies because you mentioned translation. And we do speak more about localization mm-hmm. because you want to adapt your content for your market. And you mentioned translation. It's true that still a lot of companies are working with translation agency, translation connectors. Fine. But as soon as you really operate in market, you definitely have marketing team local marketing team operating in these markets, and you want to be able to empower them in this uh, specific tool, that is the PIM. And here we are starting to talk about PayXM, product experience management, because you can offer, I saw a lot of customers, you check their websites, you're like, yeah, that's a great product experience that they offer. The product page, the PDP, the product display page, it's great, That's per- that looks perfect. I have great content, great video, great, yeah, great assets. But what about the teams involved in crafting this product experience? What's behind this team? Are they suffering? Are they happy to work with a lot of different excel and sheets, a lot of outdated processes and so on? That's exactly our mission and what we address. We want to help every single team collaborating in one or a lot of information around product experience to be able to work easier, faster, better. And as soon as you open a new market, it's easy because you already have the process. You know how to empower new people. And that's how we say that it accelerates definitely your growth because you can open much more quickly in a, in new markets, in your region. That's crucial.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, Excel sheets and how people have used those in the past. and. I know all too well with different projects throughout the years of the number of Excel sheets within one organization that they would have to use for different areas and different channels, even. And really, the PIM PXM solution that really just combines the whole effort, right? It, it, that is the mission of it, along with the enrichment of the data, so that you can distribute that out from one source of truth to all the different channels that you want to be in. And that includes the marketplaces, which is Ali, you brought up. And I feel that marketplaces have been a huge growth area the past several years, especially they've been around for a long time. Amazon has a marketplace aspect, but I feel that niche marketplaces are really becoming stand up, especially in the B2B world versus the B2C where it's much more viable for them in terms of getting their product into more hands and distributed globally.
2: Yeah, it's so true. We 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 continue to hear this these stories about how people have these spreadsheets that are spread all over the place and they've got one for every single channel that they're on, one maybe for each of their distributors that they sell to or and so on and so forth. What you need to be looking for is a PIM solution that essentially eliminates that duplicate work. You shouldn't have to repeat everything for every single channel. It should be a single source of truth that gets adapted but each one of those ways that you send those out, that's what you need to be looking for.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the PIM and, and product experience. How do you check it? How do you kind of do a, a health check assessment? I always go back to that or like your 100-point inspection tune-up for your car. How do you do that for product experience?
1: When we started to work together with Ali, I had something in mind about the maturity. You know, not all of our customers started, start from the same Point from the same state actually with the dealing with that product data, as we just said, a lot of a lot of Excel sheets, but some are much more better. So you you have to take them where they are when you start. So Ali suggested me to to define stages of maturity to be able to say, okay, what is a PXM champion? What does it do? How to be a PXM champion? Based on that, we can say that a PayXM champion not only has established a single source of truth, which is the first step for us, like you are an adopter. You start to understand that this is slowing down your business. Again, you want to enhance that. And you understand that it's not only about the e-commerce channel because basically a lot of customers, a lot of companies start thanks to the e-commerce need. And they say, okay, let's address the e-commerce need. And then we'll see for the other teams, which is a very bad idea, because a lot of companies are today on each channel. It's a journey, as you you started to say, Tim. Uh, You have to take your customer on all the sales touch points. So the second step, the second stage of maturity is really about understand that it's a collaborative work, that it's not only about the e-commerce team, but maybe the purchasing team, maybe the social media team, the marketplace team, and so on and so on. And then you become a champion when not only you are defined a collaborative way of working, but now you understand also that you want to do that with your business partners. Again, if you sell marketplaces, you want to ease that work. You want to sell proper attributes, proper information to these marketplaces, only the one-day request, not all of your information. So you have to tailor your export for each marketplace. There you are a champion because you are able also to do that with your business partners, not internally.
2: And one thing I've heard from others that they ask us a lot, which is with respect to, when do you know you're giving a good product experience? And the way they'll ask that is, what's the benchmark that we should be meeting out there? You know, Should it be as good as the the, the large online marketplaces? Is that the kind of experience we should be giving? My answer to that is no. And in some cases, it's not even your competitors. The benchmark that you have is the last great experience that your customer had. That's the benchmark that you need to think about, which, which is tough, right? Well, what is that exactly? And so this is where analytics and insights can help. What you want to be focusing on are things like, yeah, you know what? Making sure that product information is complete. We still see many examples of product experiences out there where we'll see Details coming soon, details coming soon, or in the product description, it's got a sequence of codes that nobody really knows what they mean. Not pointing any fingers at anybody that was just missed. And that's where a product information management solution that provides insights and analytics into the quality of the information is going to be key. But also look at what's happening during and after the sale, look at those analytics and use that to inform where to prioritize the work that needs to be done. You have a product that was maybe selling well, but has a high return rate. You know what? There's probably something wrong with the product description mm-hmm. in that case. So spend the time on those particular products so that you can reduce that return rate. And people have that great experience by buying something that they actually wanted and needed. So those are a couple of things that I always recommend uh, to the places where to start.
0: Yeah. No, and Ali, and that was perfect on the analytics side Something I would also say is not only is it the after the product experience, you mentioned this before experience, too, but we like to go in and look at the product detail pages that are landed on without any add to carts and especially high volume of those. Also, when they're direct inbound from different marketing channels, why are they abandoning that without moving forward, especially if it was much more of a direct ad that they were coming from? It was very specific, something that they saw on that page didn't convince them to add it to cart and then eventually purchase it. But just that first step of add to cart and that attribution is so critical to understand because that is where your product experience really comes to life, right? It's that first Mm -hmm. moment and you have seconds to capture them. So both from a visual side and accuracy of information, the ability to build trust in the parts example I gave earlier of saying, hey, confirm this works with your model, right? You're giving them the option to verify it And know that I am ordering the right part. One that I've been frustrated with that I think a lot of organizations have started to do a better job on is just the correct imagery and scale of perspective. Right. So when I looked at certain products, I'm like, oh, that looks great. It looks good. And I get it. And it's tiny. And I'm like, I just had a light bulb experience with this. My desk light at home burned out in my office. And I'm like, oh, I need to order new ones. I don't have any more. So I typed in the wattage and the, the A15 bulb size and everything. And the product looked perfect. And I'm like, oh, great. So I order it. And of course, it's Amazon. So two, you know, day, two days later, whatever it is nowadays, it arrived. And I, op- I, I look at the box. I'm like, the box is like the size of a normal light bulb. I'm like, how is this six? Because I ordered a, a, a box of six so I'd have extras in the future. And I was like, how is this going to be one, you know, six light bulbs in this box? What what happened? Was the description wrong? Nope. Sure enough, it's tiny bulbs. They still fit. So that, that part was accurate. And they're the brightness I wanted with the wattage. But they're just tiny. And I'm like, well, uh, do I return this? Do I not? I, I don't want to go through the hassle of an Amazon return. So it, they work. I'm going to just keep it. In the B2B world, you don't get that luxury that often where you get just keep the part and you don't return it. Or So it's just interesting to see how that experience to me, just based on the visual, seemed correct. But it wasn't. And that's that whole aspect of the human experience within the product experience. I want to unpack that a little bit more with both of you as well, because that type of experience, in my example, I know happens across the world. What in your mind also ties the human experience into helping drive the need for the product experience? And how do we ensure that the product experience delivers the right human experience?
2: That's a very good question, and I, it's, it's interesting you bring it up because I've had conversations and I've written about this as well, whereby we tend to think of B2C and B2B, B, right? We didn't mm-hmm. delineate it. The reality is it's more like business to human. In fact, I think I wish we could
0: B2H. Yep, B2H, business to human, yes.
2: Business to human. You know, in the consumer world, we've, we've actually gotten pretty good at that as an industry, of coming up with new ways to make it more relevant and engaging for us as individuals. You know, it's you see the sneakers and you're like, yeah, got to have those. But it's even better when it's like, oh, wow, that's a sports that I completely love. And he's mm-hmm. wearing them over there. looks great. You know, it's that kind of thing. And now we're seeing things with augmented reality whereby we can actually virtually try on our sneakers and see how see how we feel in them before we've even got our hands on them. That's that human, that emotional aspect that's key. And that's one thing Virginie and I have talked about as well, which is the B2H part is about bringing emotion into the experience. Whether that's consumer or even business, it still applies, actually. We're still individuals making a decision. And so how do you bring emotion into that? Well, get your friendly marketer. They can probably help with that, writing that. But that's the thing. That's something that a human needs to do. In the technology where you can capture that in the right way and it's not just having a great product description there's more to it than that it is about using imagery that is in situ with that particular individual that is relevant to them i talked about the augmented reality example we're seeing more and more of this where i can see that product in my home in my office at the workplace wherever it may be so i get a greater connection to it There are lots of other examples in there. Virginie, you probably have recommended that more and more as well as part of PXM.
1: Yeah, and when I hear you talking about human and how do we interact with human and how do we make sure that this is matching with human expectation, I can't prevent from thinking about what makes the success of this new kind of retailers that we call the NVB, the Digital Native Vertical Brands, which is the community that they are able to build and what is it about? Is it about just human interacting with each other? And because you create a passion on that, I'm sure you have them in mind, like Old Birds, Evil Lane for mm-hmm. the US. Uh, we have the exact same in Europe. We have a lot of DMVs. And they not grow with their community, but they build the business with their community. They involve them in every decision, so they make sure that everything they do, from the product to the experience they offer, match with the expectation, because they build it with them. So we see more and more companies, even B2B, again, Ali is right, um, in getting inspiration from these DNVBs. They get it now. They create communities. And when we talk about communities, we we can only think about Instagram, which is the place Mm -hmm. to create and engage with people. And even a lot of our customers in B2B industry create strong community in Instagram. Ali, I'm thinking about, help me, what's the name of this U.S. tractor machine and John Deere? John Deere. Deere. Yes, they engage a lot with their community on Instagram. This is a perfect B2B company. And they have pages, Instagram paging, Instagram accounts for all of their big regions. And it works so well. So you can't imagine that at first, but it works.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the approach for the B2H, I just want to go back to that too, and and the community aspect there. It is across the board, and, and I love that B2H because... Especially B2B, and I'm going to pick on that industry for just a moment here. That industry has historically been H to H, human to human. And that was always kind of the the slowness, I feel, of the digital transformation. And in talking with different people like Andy Hoare and Brian Beck, and just the research that they've done, you see that that growth has just been a little slower because you've got sales teams and expectations where we have all these you know ERP systems that are all set up for the the ordering based on how they do ordering and that they need to talk to their sales rep well it still might be that they talk to the sales rep but they start the process digitally now and overall even in i mean the fact that everything starts on a phone nowadays over 54% of all traffic i believe last year was mobile device first that's stemming into the B2B world as well. And that augmented reality Ali that you brought up, we've got a great examples of augmented reality that have helped clients that have the need for that visualization because it helps prove to the end user that this is the right fit for me, or this is the right solution for me when they can see it in their space through their device, because it's a bigger sized item and Through that business to human aspect, no matter what you write, no matter what you do, your product information is written for a human to consume. It's also consumed by all the different bots and crawlers out there, particularly Google is the one everyone pays the most attention to, for SEO purposes and being found. But even they have gone to don't write for keywords, write for the human in the way that they've done that. I think that's just the nature of coming back to we have to write and deliver that human experience because that is the right way to deliver it on all fronts, not just on one or two fronts. It's every front. Um, exactly.
2: And as me, myself, I am a B2B buyer. I'm a B2B mm -hmm. decision maker. I look for, do research on, evaluate, and purchase technology products that we use in our day-to-day work. And, how do I do that? Well, don't tell my wife, but it's usually during the evenings on my phone while she's watching some show and I'm not <laughs> paying attention. and I'm, I'm doing research on a particular vendor. That's typically what we do when we're buying consumer products, right? Yeah. No, it's what we do when we're in the workplace too. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. So we have to take the same approaches with respect to engaging with that particular audience who is making B2B decisions in a B2C way.
0: Absolutely. So to make these correct decisions and to have this rich product experience and and the right product experience. What are some of the steps, right? We talked about it, treating it as a journey. Don't try and boil the ocean, but what would kind of be a, a high level step approach that you would walk someone through in trying to put together the right product experience for their organization?
2: Well, first one I'm going to take is actually engage with your solution providers and solution partners like American Eagle, And do it early because they can help with respect to identifying what foundation needs to be built in order to deliver those experiences and we hope a PIM like Mm Akinios is going to be part of that. There's many moving parts but we are actually finding in our own research that decision makers who are looking at PIM are engaging with companies like American Eagle Earlier on, and it's very sound advice. Don't wait until the end when you need to implement. Mm -hmm. Start early because they can help you find the right pieces of the puzzle and the most important foundation pieces, especially.
0: Absolutely. And I couldn't emphasize more the start early because if you don't start treating your product information the right way, but also for all the channels you need to distribute to. So depending on your maturity, and and Virginie, I want to make sure that we talk about the maturity that you mentioned earlier here too, is you might be in your infancy and just starting out into the commerce world. And that you have an advantage then because you don't have a lot of historical product glut, I'll call it of information in different disparate systems or Excel sheets or multiple Excel sheets. And then you might have someone who's been selling for years with all of that and they have to clean it up. And I think the, the the big emphasis here is that maturity, even though you might be at different states of your maturity, your product hygiene is going to be critical for success with this. Would you agree?
1: Exactly. I could not agree more. And to illustrate that, I'm sure that you have already been requested the same question, when you start a project, how long will last the project? Mm-hmm. Or even when you have not started, you know, when you are just in discussion, how long does a project with a PIM project last? And the answer to that is exactly the one you just gave. I'm like, it depends on you. It depends on how mature and ready you are with your product dictionary, with your product data internally. Do you know what a product is for you? Do you know which description you want for a product? Which information you need for your customers to be able to buy a product? And if they are not mature with that, if you, know, you start a workshop and they just look at each other not knowing the right answer, you know that it will last at least six months. But if it's very clear when you arrive, each team knows exactly which information they are responsible for, then it can go very fast. In four months, you can do a PIM project really well.
0: Really. Wonderful, wonderful. So as we look to kind of wrap up our conversation today, and we could keep going and we'll probably have to do a future session as well because there's so much that we could unpack here. What are some ways that you can make sure that you are in control of your brand? Right, The, the, the PIM, PXM solution, that, that provides a sense of that, correct? Or, or the ability to control the brand across multiple channels and... Is that, you know, again, just the central source? What are your thoughts on how you talk through that with your customers at Akinio?
1: Yeah. In another survey that we we have done this year with the B2C customers this time, we learned that for 52% of them, they would will be willing to pay more for a product. If the brand values are consistent, are aligned with what they expect, what they feel, what they want to know, what they need to know about the brand, transparency, all the sustainability topics and so on. They want to learn more about the brand. And what we say to our customers is that every single product must embody this value, this brand value. And how to do that? Basically, just by providing the, the expected information. Um, where the product comes from? Uh, what is the, the real material? And so on and so on. And it's not about the product itself, but it's also about how can I find the right product? And the importance of, on the filters you offer to your customers. A lot of customers want to be able to look, for instance, depending on the sustainability of a the product. They want to make sure that this will respect this label or another label and so on. The carbon impact also. We know that it will come very soon. That a lot of people will want to be able to compare between two sneakers. Maybe they hesitate between two sneakers. And for sure, they will choose for the one which has less impact carbon impact. So they want to be able to get this information so that they can trust the brand. That's very important.
2: In terms of ensuring that the information you are creating, enriching, working on reflects that brand, make sure that you're looking at a pin solution that provides those review capabilities so that if you do have multiple contributors. And you want to ensure consistency, and that's how it reflected. You need to be have something that's going to allow for review and approvals of those before they're pushed out in a flexible way that's not rigid. So you're not waiting on someone for weeks because they're they've gone off on a long vacation, but has that flexibility, but still those checks in place so that everything is ready to go when it's ready to go.
0: Yes, the days of passing the spreadsheet back and forth via email it's or a shared drive, on. it's not going to happen. So. No. Uh, Wonderful. Well, all right. We're to my final question for both of you, and then we'll talk through your vision of where PX product experience is going to be in the next five years. All right. So three to five years. I'll give you I'll give you the option to go short with three. But if you want the long and you can go five. But let's start with version A. Uh, What is your forecast, your prediction of where product experience will evolve into? over the next three to five years?
1: I do think that companies must adapt more to the difference between generations. If I say TikTok, for instance, you can see that it's a new way of selling products. And I do think that brands must start thinking about and and quickly adapt to this new way of selling products. So I would say that adapt to the different generation, not only to the channels, but also to the generation of buyers.
0: Wonderful. And Ali?
2: I'm going to say that there we're going to see new business models, some we haven't even thought of yet. But the one that's interest right now is subscription-based buying, even for consumer products as well. We're seeing more and more very novel ideas coming about how to acquire products through a subscription base. I was reading about a great company that's going to do Subscriptions for batteries for electric cars. Mm -hmm. Very clever idea. But why is that important? It means the product experience is going to have to adapt to support that. It's a different type of buying. Therefore, the experience needs to reflect that need to make sure if you're going to have a subscription model, people keep coming back. Yes. And that entails doing things differently.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. So we just heard it the future from Virginie and Ali about product experience. We talked about throughout this episode, just the experiences of how to apply product experience to your organization and the critical aspect of the b to h the business to human factor, and how product experience completely supports that B2H factor. And we want to make sure that we also talk to those who might still be dealing with spreadsheets today, that there is hope and a light at the end of the tunnel for you. And it is through a tool platform called a PIM. And Akinio is one of those PIMs that can help you get out of those old ways and into the new future that will continue to let you evolve into the beyond. We appreciate, Ali and Virginie, your time today so much on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't express enough my appreciation for your time out of your busy days to join me on the show today. And all of our listeners, thank you as well for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information on the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. We'll provide some links to the study that Akinio had done last year in 2020 that we talked about for the Global B2B Survey so that you have some additional resources for yourself to take to your organization. If you want us to cover a topic or have any feedback to submit, please email us at lessons tomorrow at AmericanEagle.com and let us know. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them and stay up to date with us. While you're at it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and sharing this podcast with others to prepare them for the future. And please don't forget to follow us on social media. We are not on TikTok. But we should be there soon. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com studios. I am your host, Tim Elanius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.